Well, if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, um, we've spent three sessions looking at verses 1 to 6 of that, that chapter, and those verses were very much devoted to the question of the submission of Christian wives to their husbands. And that subject was uh, that the third of Peter's series of examples of what it means to obey the command that he gave back in chapter 2, verse 13, for believers in Christ to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This third example hangs on the command in verse 1, uh, which is given as wives, be subject to your own husbands in the, in the ESV, or wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands in the NIV. The previous two examples had been uh, the example of the submission of Christian citizens uh, to civil authorities uh, and also the submission of Christian slaves to their masters. And now we're going to move on to verse 7, which in the SV reads as likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to to, to the grace of life, uh, and uh, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, The NIV gives it as husbands, in the same way be considerate (coughs) as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So having addressed Christian wives, Peter uh, now moves on to give instructions to Christian husbands. Um, What I find quite interesting uh, about this is the fact that when he exhorted Christian citizens to be subject to civil rulers, he didn't go on to give instructions to rulers. Uh, And when he gave uh, instructions to Christian servants to be subject to their masters, he didn't go on uh, to give instructions to masters. But having exhorted Christian wives to submit to their husbands, he did then go on to give instructions to Christian husbands. Why, Why that difference? Why did he do that? I suppose you could think, oh, well, it's simply because there were no civil rulers or masters among the believers he was writing to, but there were husbands. But I don't think that was the case. I don't think that's the explanation, because we know from other parts of, of the New Testament that there were masters uh, in in the early church. You think of, of Paul's letter to Philemon, for instance. Uh, there he was writing to him about resolving an issue between him and his runaway slave, uh, Onesimus. So I think the reason for Peter also addressing husbands must be because although the relationship between a husband and a wife is in some ways similar to the relationship between rulers and subjects and masters and servants, in that it also involves headship and submission, it's not the same relationship in every way. Um, the relationship between a husband and wife is very different 
from the relationship between uh, a civil ruler and their subjects or uh, a master uh, and his servants. There's a, a, a very big difference. Um, I think that difference really stems from what we see right back at the beginning. If you read Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, uh, that speaks of, of God's design for the relationship between a husband and a wife. He said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So you see, when a, a man and a woman uh, get married, uh, there's an awful lot taking place there. There's a, a leaving behind of, of old relationships to form a, a completely new and lasting relationship. And that's so unique and so intimate that they're described as becoming one flesh. Now, that's nothing like the relationship between a ruler and their subjects. You know, which one of us is going to say we're one flesh with Theresa May? <laughs> be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Or... Again, it's nothing like the relationship between masters and their servants. You know, which one of us is going to say, I am one flesh with my employer? It's just not the case, is it? But the relationship between a husband and a wife is completely different. They are one flesh. So I think that's why Peter went on to address husbands as well as wives. Um... I think the relationship between a husband and wife is also very different from that between rulers and subjects and masters <coughs> and servants. So for another reason, um, we see that if we look at Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 33, a well-known passage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body uh, and his himself, its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I'm not going to go into that passage in any detail, but we see it starts by exhorting wives to submit to their husbands in exactly the same way as Peter has in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 6. Uh, he then goes on to exhort husbands to love their wives which is what Peter does in, in verse 7 here. But that's not all, you see. Throughout the passage, there's a parallel being drawn between the relationship between a husband and wife 
and that between Christ and his church. So when speaking of submission of wives to their husbands, Peter says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in love, uh, submit in love. Uh, sorry, I've lost myself here. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then when speaking uh, of husbands loving their wives, he says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. You see, unlike the relationship between rulers and subjects, masters and servants, the relationship between a husband and wife mirrors the amazing relationship that exists between Christ and his church. No wonder Peter goes on to address husbands as well as wives. (coughs) So what does Peter have to say uh, to Christian husbands? Well, I want to point out four things that we see here. Um, We've all heard of the three R's, reading, writing and arithmetic. Well, tonight we're going one better and we've got four R's. So um, we see a relationship, a a rule, a reason and a result. So firstly, let's consider the relationship. Um, Now, obviously, there is a relationship between a husband and a wife, but that isn't uh, what what I have in mind by by this heading. You see, Peter begins verse 7 by saying, likewise, husbands. He's using that word likewise and and in doing that he's indicating a connection or a relationship between what he'd been saying to Christian wives and what he's now going on to say to Christian husbands. It could equally say similarly. What's the connection or or similarity or or relationship uh, between what he said to Christian wives and what he's going on to say now? What is that 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 connection what's the similarity well you could get the impression that since he's just been saying that christian wives should submit themselves to their husbands uh, that he's now saying christian husbands are to do likewise in that they are to submit to their wives Um, but that doesn't really make a great deal of sense does it how would that work out in practice Um, you know are husbands and wives to kind of compete to out-submit one another um, that just wouldn't work and it certainly doesn't fit the pattern uh, that we've been seeing in Ephesians 5. So in what sense are Christian husbands to do likewise? Well to avoid the impression that Peter is saying that husbands should submit to their wives in the same way as wives submit to them, uh, the NIV I think quite helpfully uses the term in the same way. And I think that makes it clear that Peter wasn't saying that husbands are to do the same thing as their wives, but that what they do is to be done in the same manner. It's to be done with, with, with the same attitude as that of Christian wives when they're being submissive to their husbands. Is the NIV justified in, in that translation? Well, I, I think it is. Um, back in verse 1 of chapter 3, Um, We saw that began with the word likewise. Peter said, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And when we were considering uh, that verse, uh, we we noticed that there's a Greek word that means 
in exactly the same way. And that's not the, ver- the, the word that Peter's using here. Um, there's another Greek word which means in every way. And again, that's not the word that, that Peter's using here. The, the Greek word that he has used, both in verse 1 and verse 7, uh, it's been translated as likewise or, or in the same way, is a, a softer term that really means something like in a similar way. And when we were thinking about verse 1, we saw that the submission of a Christian citizen, um, uh, so a Christian wife to her husband, is to be similar to that of Christian slaves to their masters or Christian citizens uh, to, to their rulers. Um, in that, there's to be a, a similarity um, of attitude, a similarity of um, of outlook. So that attitude is to be characterised by honour, by respect. And there's also to be a similarity of, of motive. Uh, that, that motive was summed up in, in the words, for the Lord's sake, that, that Peter used. The motive isn't selfish, neither is it primarily altruistic. First and foremost, the, the motive is the desire to please the Lord. So although husbands are not exhorted to be submissive to their wives, they are to relate to them uh, with honour, with a sense of respect. They're to relate to them in a way that is pleasing to God. And we see that as we go on to consider the rule. Uh, By rule, I really mean uh, command or imperative. Uh, We've seen a lot of imperatives as as we've worked our way through 1 Peter. What's Peter's commandment to to Christian husbands here? Well, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel. So so the basic imperative that's being given there is live with your wives. Now, the the Greek word that's... uh, translated as as live with um, it only occurs on this one occasion in the new testament uh, but it it is used in the greek translation of the the old testament uh, uh, on many occasions uh, and it refers to a sexual relationship now in modern day parlance uh, in our society that's so ready to disregard and uh, and denigrate marriage uh, that expression living together uh, is very often used, isn't it? And when people speak of living together, they don't simply mean uh, that two people happen to be living in the same house. Uh, there is very definitely a, the implication of a, a sexual relationship there. So, so the exhortation for husbands to live with your wives carries uh, sexual overtones. The, the fact is that God provided marriage as the right context for sex to, to uh, the, the right context for for, 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 for sex uh, to be conducted so it's important that Christian husbands and wives ensure that their sexual desires are fulfilled within their marriage that's that's the context that God purposed for sexual relationships so 
that thought is definitely in mind when when Peter says, live with your wives. Um, however, I also think we'd be making a big mistake if we took it that that was all that Peter was referring to in giving this exhortation to husbands to live with your wives. I think we must also take that expression very much at face value. Peter is surely saying that husbands are to spend time with their wives. They are to enjoy being with their wives. They're to enjoy doing things with their wives. Um, there might be times when of necessity they have to be away from their wives, but that's not to be something they want. That's not to be something they enjoy. A Christian husband is to spend as much time uh, with his wife as possible. Um, we'll be very well aware that there are some husbands whose lives are largely centred around th th their work, th their hobbies, or spending time with their friends or whatever. But there are some husbands who seem to want to be away from their wife as much as they can. And that's uh, she's just someone he happens to go home to at the end of the day. Well, that's not what a Christian husband should be like. Now, I don't want you to get the impression that I have a great interest in horse racing. I don't. But um, no doubt you all heard about the, uh, the owners of the Grand National this year. Uh, two women who described themselves as golf widows. Two women whose husbands spent so much time on the golf course that they got together and decided, what, what can we do? And they bought a racehorse together and won, won the Grand National. But uh, they described themselves as golf widows. Um, and what a sad reflection that is on their husbands. And certainly no Christian husband should ever make his wife a, a golf widow or any other sort of widow until the day he dies. And then, then we'll, get, we'll let him off. We'll, uh, we'll excuse him then. But there was that expression, golf widows. And of course, it's not just golf. Although, I don't know why, but golf does seem to have a peculiar power doesn't it that people that enjoy it can very quickly become obsessed with it and uh, so absorbed but it's not only golf is it um it might be fishing i can't imagine why but it might be um there are those who do seem to spend a lot of time by riverbanks with poles in their hands uh it might be something like um football it might be potting around in the garden shed it might be going out with your mates. There's all sorts of things that can preoccupy husbands at the expense of their wives. Well, that shouldn't be the case. Obviously, that there's a place for Christian husbands to enjoy hobbies, to enjoy social activities uh, with their mates and so on. But that should be secondary. Their priority should be to spend time with their wives. A man's wife should be the focus of his intention because he and she are one flesh. You can't be one flesh if you're separate all the time, can you? That just doesn't make any sense. So that's what Paul was getting at in Ephesians 5 when he said, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So because you're one flesh with your wife, you should love and cherish her. And to do that, you have to be with her. You have to spend time with her. Well, Peter goes on to flesh out that command for Christian husbands to live 
with your wives by adding in an understanding way. Uh, that's how the, the ESV puts it. The NIV has be considerate. And I don't think either version really captures uh, the right sense here. Uh, when you read the words in an understanding way uh, in, the, in the SV, um, well, that brings to mind something like, you just don't understand. You, you just don't understand how I feel. Um, and that's the sort of thing that wives sometimes utter, isn't it? And when they do, it usually leaves hub husbands absolutely flummoxed. The husband usually thinks, what are you talking about? Of course I understand. And of course, husbands uh, are to do their very best to understand their wives in that way. But that's not what Peter's emphasis is here. When you read in the, the NIV, be considerate, um, that very much gives the impression that, that Peter's saying something like, be courteous, um, be polite, be well-mannered. But Peter's not talking about opening doors and raising hats or anything like that. Uh, it's nothing as, as formal as that. Um, a literal translation of the Greek would be according to knowledge. According to knowledge. And there's really sort of two factors involved in that. Firstly, uh, firstly there, there is knowledge, but then it's the idea of living with your wife according to that knowledge. It's not just knowledge, it's knowledge in action with respect to your relationship with your wife. So you have the sense of husbands living with their wives in a way that is based upon and consistent with knowledge. Now, Peter doesn't actually spell out uh, what knowledge he has in mind here when he uh, exhorts Christian husbands to live with their wives according to knowledge. But I suspect that primarily what he has in mind is, is knowledge of God. And by that, I don't just mean intellectual knowledge about God. It's the sort of knowledge that, that Paul prayed for uh, that the, uh, the Colossian believers would have. He said in Colossians 1, 9 to 10, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now that's not intellectual knowledge, that, that's, that's personal relational knowledge it's being tuned in to what pleases God and increasingly knowing him better and that should inform and affect every area of our lives uh, the whole of Peter's section on on being subject to every human institution was very much informed by and, and undergirded by that sense of a, a personal relationship with God wasn't it so uh, in, in chapter 2 verse 13 when when he said that we're to be subject to every human institution, he stressed that that was to be for the Lord's sake. It was to be with an awareness or knowledge that it was for God and pleasing to God. In verse 15 of chapter 2, he went on to say, for this is the will of God. 
So it's again, it's with an awareness of what God wants. And then in verse 16, he said, but living as servants of God. So it's, it's with that, that awareness of serving God. In verse 19, he said, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. Having God in mind, being aware of who God is and what God wants. So you see, Christian living is to be informed and directed by an awareness of uh, of serving God and doing what pleases him. Uh, our relationship with him is to undergird, undergird all that we do. So Christian husbands are to live with their wives in a way that's consistent with their relationship with God and what they know of him and his will. And that includes his design for marriage. Now, Peter goes on to mention uh, an aspect of God's design for marriage and, and so further clarifies what he means uh, by saying in an understanding way and then adding showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel. Uh, the NIV has treat them with respect as the weaker partner. I think respect is a bit misleading there, um, partly because it sounds too distant and formal to apply to the, the intimacy of the of the oneness of of the marriage relationship, and partly because it's uh, it's too low key to convey the right sense. Um, you might respect some someone without particularly liking them, uh, without uh, you know, let, let alone loving them. Uh, the ESV, I think, rightly captures the sense by saying showing honour, uh, and the idea is is not just of of respect, but of elevating her. Lifting her high. Christian husbands are to treat their wives as being very important, very special. And that was a, a radical concept uh, in the patriarchal society of Peter's day. Uh, women were looked down upon. They were second class. Uh, husbands were to keep their wives in their place. So th this is radical stuff in, in those days. But you see, Christian husbands are to be very different from that. That they're to love and honour their wives. Now, contrary to what uh, women's libbers might claim or assert, that is not to say that husbands and wives are therefore the same. It's not suggesting that at all. It's very interesting to note that Peter didn't say showing honour to your wife he said showing honour to the woman to, to the woman um, I suppose that can sound a bit derogatory can't it if you refer to your wife as the woman you know it's sort of you know, her indoors kind of idea that certainly isn't what Peter's saying saying either um, a more literal translation of that would be showing honour to the feminine one. That, that would be a, a literal translation. So you see, male and female are different. There is a real difference between men and women. Uh, in Genesis 1.27 we're told, so God created men in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. They're distinct. Yet yeah, they're, they're 
that they're similar in that they are both made in the image of God but there is a distinction they're not identical they're not exactly the same but God himself draws attention to the fact that there's that distinction between them and Peter goes on to highlight one of the differences by referring to the woman as the weaker vessel or the weaker partner um, superficially that might sound as though Peter's saying that women are somehow inferior to, to men um, and certainly in the Greek world of Peter's day that that would have been the, the attitude it, it would be considered that women were intellectually inferior morally inferior, spiritually inferior inferior in just about every way you know, who'd be a Greek woman in Peter's day but that, that was very much very much the attitude but you see nowhere does the word of God suggest that women are inferior in any of those ways I think we're to take it that Peter is simply here referring to the very obvious fact that women tend to be physically weaker than men you know, there's a reason that women's rugby teams don't play men's rugby teams now, there's a, a reason that female boxers don't fight male boxers. Um, you know, Nicola Adams isn't going to be challenging Auntie Joshua anytime soon. Um, she'd be foolish if she did. But you see, husbands, because of their, their greater physical strength, could very easily dominate and subjugate their wives. That was commonly the case in Peter's day. But Christian husbands are to be radically different. Rather than exploiting the fact that their wives are physically weaker, um, rather than belittling their weakness, they're to honour their feminine qualities. They're to value what they are. They're to value what God has made them to be. Why is that? Well, Peter goes on to tell us the reason. Uh, he goes on to say, since. So that's giving a reason what's the reason well it's since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so those words with you that speaks of of togetherness doesn't it it speaks of oneness again we're back to one flesh aren't we there's that that unity that 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 oneness they're heirs with you that speaks of the oneness there's a fundamental equality uh, between a better translation would be joint heirs or, or fellow heirs because there's that fundamental equality be, between a husband uh, and wife or that there might there might be differences as male and female but they're involved as heirs together as equal as as equals they have equal value to God partly as people made in his image, uh, even more so as, as believers in Christ who share exactly the same relationship to God. So, so in Galatians 3.28 we read, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. No distinction. In Christ, as believers in him, we are, we're the same, we share the same, we're sharing the same grace together. So heirs together of the grace of life. 
Peter says they're, they're heirs together of the grace of life. But what does the grace of life mean? What, what does he mean by that? Well, whatever it is, Christian husbands and their wives are heirs of it. So it's their inheritance. It's their inheritance. And Peter's already spoken in, in the letter about our inheritance. You remember back in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, uh, he said there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefined, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Christian husbands and wives share together in eternal life. They share exactly the same eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. They share exactly the same hope for eternity. And that's the reason for the command for Christian husbands to live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel. So having considered the reason, let's finally note the results. Peter goes on to say, so. So that, that's indicating uh, an outcome. It's telling us an outcome or a result. And the result is that your prayers may not be hindered. And that probably comes as a bit of a surprise. Um, it's suggesting that if, if Christian husbands don't live with their wives in an understanding way and don't show them honour, then the husband's prayer life is going to be adversely affected. Um, the first thing to notice about that um, is that it, it speaks to us of the importance of prayer, doesn't it? It's a significant thing if your, prayer, if your prayers are hindered. That, that, that matters, that, that's, that's important. So it tells us the, the importance of prayer. We, we were thinking about our, our knowledge of God um, being a, an experiential and relational thing. And prayer is such an important part of that. You know, a relationship in which uh, two people didn't talk to one another would be a very strange and unrewarding relationship, wouldn't it? But you see, we, we can speak to God as our, our loving Heavenly Father. And it's important for our spiritual life and growth and, and well-being that we do that. And we need to maintain that active relationship uh, with him as our Father. The next thing to notice, though, from this is that our prayer can be hindered. If you like, it can be, it can be blocked. It can be interrupted. You know, that, that line of communication... Uh, it can be temporarily cut. Well, what causes that to happen? Well, the NIV renders the phrase as so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And that gives the impression that there can be external factors that get in, in the way and, and block your prayers. But that's not capturing the right sense of the Greek text. The, the ESV is much better here in saying that your prayer may not be hindered. It's really saying that there's a direct link between how husbands relate to their wives 
and the efficacy of their prayer lives. If a Christian husband lives with his wife in an understanding way and shows her honour, then his prayers will be unhindered. But if he fails to live with his wife in an understanding way and fails to show her honour, he can expect his prayers to be hindered. That's speaking of a, a deliberate, intentional hindering. And we need to ask ourselves, well, who does the hindering? And I think the answer is, it's God. It's an indication of his discipline. We're perhaps accustomed to think in terms of praying in order to affect the way we live. But here we see that the opposite is true. We have an example of of the way in which we live affecting our prayers. If we're not living right, then our prayer is going to be affected. Uh, in, in this particular context, the example is the is of the way in which a husband lives with his wife affecting his prayer life. But that's in keeping with a, a general principle. Uh, for instance, we see in 1 Peter 3 verse 12, um, he'll go on to say, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ear is open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So you see, the, the Lord hears the prayers of those who are doing right. He hears the prayers of those who please him, but not those who do not. But their prayers are hindered. We find a, a similar example in 1 Peter 4, 8, 12, where he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If you're not self-controlled, if you're not sober-minded, then your prayers will be hindered. You won't be able to pray freely. The implication is that if you're not self-controlled and not sober-minded, your prayers will be hindered. So, husbands, you're given the command, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel. And failure to do that, it will make life difficult for your wife. It won't please God. Failing to do that will ruin your prayer life and spoil your daily walk with God and so stunt your, your growth in, in the knowledge of God. I'll just close with some words from Wayne Grudem on this uh, on this verse. He said, No Christian husband should presume that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his life in an understanding way, bestowing honour on her. To take the time to develop a good marriage is God's will. It is serving God. It is a spiritual activity pleasing in his sight. So, words to take to heart and words that we husbands are uh, need to work hard at actually fulfilling ourselves.